Bible in front of you, if there's a pew Bible, I'd invite you to turn back to that portion of Scripture we read in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 7. I'll just read verse 47 again. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Okay, folks, I love books, love books. But uh, to my shame... I have never to this day read the Dickens classic, Great Expectations. Never read it. But having said that, over the last uh, few weeks and months, uh, whenever we've had a sort of free moment, my wife and I have uh, sort of tuned into the BBC miniseries uh, based on that book. And although I know what you're going to say at the end of the service, you're going to say, it's not a patch on the book. And I believe you. I'm sure. But still, what a fantastic story Great Expectations is. What, um, what mighty, mighty themes it deals with. And this evening, as we turn to God's words, we have in front of us a section of scripture, a portion of scripture, that also deals with Huge themes. It deals with massive themes. Themes like the nature of love. Themes like the uh, source of forgiveness. Themes like the grace and the goodness of God. And uh, just like um, Great Expectations with, you know, Pip and what's Miss Haversham and uh, Magwitch and the rest. This portion of scripture, it also has the most kind of intriguing and detailed characters, doesn't it? So, given that there are three characters in this portion of scripture, you'll not be surprised to hear that tonight we're going to have three points to our sermon. Okay, three points from... God's word. So, let's get into this portion of scripture and let's consider our first point tonight. And that's the Pharisee. The Pharisee's critical disapproval. The Pharisee's critical disapproval. And let's note firstly here, the attitude that this Pharisee has to the woman that he encounters, his attitude to the woman here. So, what's happening in this situation? What, what's going on here? Well, this Pharisee, a guy called Simon, he is having a banquet. He's holding a banquet, isn't he? And he's invited Jesus along, and doubtless he has invited other influential people along to it. But you can imagine. I'm sure if you, if you try, you can imagine the situation, and I'm sure you can imagine the tension in the air here. 
because along comes this woman. And what we see about her, uh, a woman perhaps not of the, the highest uh, moral standard. Let's see that just now. And uh, she goes on to make a bit of a spectacle of herself at this banquet, doesn't she? She falls to the ground and she, let's face it, she starts crying. She starts weeping here and the Pharisee is not chuffed. Is he? he is not happy about this situation at all. He looks with real contempt upon her. He, he sees, us, sees her as a sinner and he says, verse 39, he says, if Jesus were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is, that she is a sinner. She's a sinner. And folks, just as we start out our sermon tonight, let's consider if you and I, if we are guilty of sometimes having a similar attitude to the Pharisee here. You know, when we see people in our churches start talking really spiritually, you know, when we see people in our churches having a sort of outward spiritual emotion, you know, if they, they start becoming really super spiritual on us, sometimes we can recoil at that, can't we? Sometimes we can be really, really disparaging of these outward spiritual displays. We can become judgmental. And then let's take it outside of our church here. And let's think about other denominations. Now, sometimes our attitude to other denominations, it leaves a lot to be desired, doesn't it? You know, when we see other churches showing public displays of love for Jesus Christ. We think, oh no! You know, we're, we're reformed and, and we're Presbyterians. This is a disaster. Well, folks, the Pharisee here, he looked down upon this woman. He judged her because of her outward display of devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, Let's not be, let's not be people, let's not be a church or a congregation that does that. Okay, a second thing about this fantasy is definitely more fundamental and it's much more important for us to think about. We've seen his attitude to the, to the woman. But what about his attitude to Jesus? What's the Pharisee's attitude to the Lord. Well, initially, do you not think it starts quite promising, doesn't it? It starts very promising. Initially, it looks like this guy, Simon, the Pharisee, he's open to Jesus, isn't he? It looks like everything's fine. He's welcoming to the Lord. Verse 1, it tells us that this Pharisee invited Jesus into his home. He invited Jesus to a feast, to a banquet. So that's good. And then later on, we see, I think it's verse 40, we see that um, he speaks to Jesus and he addresses him as rabbi. Now he calls him a teacher. And that was an incredibly polite 
address. So everything looks good, doesn't it? Well, then we dig a wee bit deeper, don't we? And we see that that's really, this was all kind of superficial conduct. This was superficial gloss. Because later on in the section, we, we read that although Simon invited Jesus to this feast, he invited him to the banquet, we learn that the welcome that Jesus got wasn't exactly a warm welcome, was it? See, we learned there wasn't any water for Jesus' feet. There wasn't any, there wasn't a warm embrace. There wasn't any oil or any perfume for Jesus. And then the root cause of Simon's coldness becomes clear, doesn't it? When he starts mumbling away to himself in disapproval. Because remember what he said, you know? The woman touches Jesus and Simon says to himself if Jesus were a prophet he would know who's touching him you see what's implied there he doesn't believe he doesn't believe that Jesus is a prophet and he doesn't believe that Jesus knows who's touching him so what we've got here is we've got a man, we've got a religious leader, a Pharisee, who is clearly interested in Jesus Christ, isn't he? He's interested, he's seeking, if you like, but when it, when it comes to it, he doesn't recognize Jesus for who he is. And he certainly doesn't welcome Jesus as he should. Now, friend, does that sound familiar to you tonight? Does that sound like your spiritual state? Does it? Are you a person who is at the moment outwardly very respectful of Christianity, respectful of Jesus Christ, but you are inwardly cold to it? Are you a person, perhaps, tonight who is outwardly entertaining the ideas of Jesus Christ, but really inwardly you're indifferent to talk of Jesus? You know, you might even be like this Pharisee. He was a regular at the house of God. And you might be like that. But tonight, you are just going through the motion. You are cold as you welcome Jesus Christ. Well, friend, if you're a Christian and you're like that, then know that tonight God wants you back with him. He wants you back with him. But if you are not a believer, if you're someone tonight who has never ever before realized or seen the true identity of Jesus Christ, then, friend, don't be like this guy. You know, this guy was cold and he was aloof in his attitude to Jesus Christ. So don't just invite Jesus Christ to dine. Invite him to stay because, you see, this guy got it so utterly wrong, didn't he? He was so far from the truth. But Jesus Christ is a prophet. But he is so much more than that. 
He is prophet, priest, and king. So point one, the Pharisees' critical disapproval. The Pharisees' critical disapproval. Now, one of my uh, favorite characters from Great Great Expectations was that guy, Magwitch. Magwitch was a cracker. He was fantastic. Now, he's portrayed all the way through Great Expectations as a sort of evil, wicked criminal. But then right at the, right at the end, um, and I guess I should actually probably in my sermons carry with me a sort of plot spoiler sign. Um, but right at the end of Great Expectations, it turns out that actually Magwitch was the main character's benefactor. And I love Magwitch. Because all the way through, I just wasn't sure about him. You know, was this guy really a bad guy? Or was he a good guy who was always in the wrong place at the wrong time and doing and saying the wrong things? And from a worldly point of view, this second character that we'll consider just now, this woman, from a worldly point of view, she was in the wrong place, at the wrong time, wasn't she? And she was doing the wrong thing. So let's consider her. Let's consider this woman. And let's consider the woman's caring devotion. The woman's caring devotion. So who was she? And what was her situation? Well, the NIV, it says that this woman lived. What does it say? What does it tell us? NIV says that she lived a sinful life. Well, in the Hebrew, uh, literally it is that this was a woman of the city. So, basically, what are we saying here? We are saying that this woman was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. What did she do? What did she do in this circumstance? Well, the woman arrives at the Pharisee's house, taking with her something. She takes with her an alabaster jar, doesn't she? And it's full of expensive perfume. Now, she approaches Jesus, and she comes to Jesus from behind. Now, he's going to be sitting, and he's going to be reclining with his feet out behind him. So she comes up to him, but then she's overcome with emotion and she begins to cry, doesn't she? And as her tears, as they fall on Jesus' outstretched legs, she unravels her hair and she cleans his feet. Now, consider firstly her courage. Consider her courage. Because there is no way on this earth that a woman like this should be in a place like that. There is no way that a prostitute 
should be a Pharisee's house. She was an uninvited guest, wasn't she? This wasn't a done thing. This was a this was a bold, bold move for her. And then consider this unbinding of her hair. Now that was courageous too. It was. You see, it, it, it seems like nothing to us, does it? That a woman would unbind her hair, unravel her hair. Doesn't seem like anything to us. But you see, in the first century in Jerusalem, this was a big deal. You did not do this. And I read a, a, a rabbi this week, and he says that in the first century in Jerusalem, if a woman in public unraveled her hair, that this was sufficient grounds for divorce, which was definitely not the thing to do. So folks, tonight, consider her courage. Consider it, because what lessons we could learn from this prostitute, couldn't we? You see, sometimes we care so much about what other people think of us, don't we? You know, we don't talk about our faith. When was the last time that we talked to somebody about Jesus Christ? When did we last do that? We don't, because we are scared of what other people think. Well, look at this woman. Look at her. She boldly approaches the Lord. She couldn't care less what anyone thinks of her. All she cared about, the only thing that she was passionate about, was a public expression of her love for Jesus Christ. So we see her courage, but we see this woman's humility here, don't we? We see her humility. Now, each of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, they have an account of a woman who anoints Jesus. Each of the four accounts. But this one here is different. It is a different account from the ones in Matthew, Mark, and John. There, a woman comes and anoints Jesus' head. Here, the woman comes and anoints Jesus' feet. Here, the woman does the work that was associated with a slave. Here, the woman does the servant's job. Now, does that sound like us tonight, a group of Christians, does it? Are you, friend, are you humble before the Lord? You know, when we consider when we consider the holiness of God and we consider the, the splendor of God and the infinite power of God, do we find ourselves on our knees before him? Are we humble? And on top of that, does our humility... Does it manifest itself in the same way as this woman's humility? You see, what does she do? Her humility is sacrificial, isn't it? She spends 
all her money on this expensive perfume that she pours over Jesus Christ. Is our humility false humility? Or is it sacrificial humility? Do we make material sacrifices for the Lord? Friends, this woman is remarkable. She's a prostitute. She loved the Lord, didn't she? What gratitude she showed Jesus. Now, why did she show such gratitude? Because she could see what the Pharisee couldn't see. She could see that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right, I used to share a flat in Edinburgh with a close friend, a good guy, a guy named Al. Now, Al was what you would call in Scotland a beaut. He was. He was absolutely terrible with money. He was shocking with money. And one time he got himself into the most uh, incredible debt. Because what Al did was he went to this very posh rental shop and he rented for our flat a beautiful plasma TV and he rented a DVD player and he rented the surround sound and the whole works. But then a few weeks later, money got a wee bit short for Al. So what Al decided to do was to sell all of this stuff to another friend of his. And of course, that is a... Yes, he, he was fine for a few days, but when the rental company came back for the TV and the DVD, etc., he got himself into a bit of bother. And Al spoke to me afterwards, and he spoke to me about debt. And he said that debt was a weight, and it was a burden. And he said, essentially, that debt ruined his life. And we've seen the Pharisee, haven't we? And we've seen the woman. Now we come to Jesus. And the final point tonight is the Lord's cancelling of debt. The Lord's cancelling of debt. And... You know, in our other two points tonight, we've seen, you know, a few different subheadings, haven't we? Well, not here. There's just one thing. There is one solitary principle here that we have to get our heads around. And it is a radical principle. And if we get our heads round it. It's going to blow our lives apart. It is going to change everything. And it's the principle, the title of our sermon, Love Comes Through Forgiveness. Love Comes Through Forgiveness. Now, how does Jesus explain that to Simon? How does he explain that principle to Simon in this passage of Scripture? Well, he tells Simon this really, really short parable. And it's really short, isn't it? It's only just a couple of sentences long. And in it, Jesus explains to this Pharisee that 
every person, that everyone owes a debt, that everyone is in debt to God. Now, we might be, you might be a good person. You might be. But Jesus says it doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if you're a Pharisee and only owe 50 denarii rather than a prostitute's 500. It doesn't matter. You still owe a debt to God. And then Jesus moves on from that, doesn't he? He moves on from the parable. What does he do next? Well, he begins to compare the conduct of this Pharisee to that of the prostitute, doesn't he? He says, you, Simon, you didn't welcome me. But yet, look at her. She hasn't stopped kissing me since I arrived. says, you, Simon, you didn't give me water for my feet. Yet, she's cleaning my feet with her tears. You didn't give me any oil. She gave me expensive perfume. He says, you didn't Love me. Yet she did. Why? Why did this prostitute love Jesus? It was because, friends, she understood the scale of her debt. She loved Jesus Christ because she knew that that debt had been cancelled. Love comes through forgiveness. And see if we get that, if we understand that, that is going to change everything for us. It will. It will change how you deal with the people in your life. It will change how you deal with your spouse. And it will change how you deal with your kids and your parents and your friends, and your work colleagues. Because you see, if we understand the scale, the enormity of our sin, if we get our heads around that, and if we see that that has been forgiven us, then surely we are going to be more loving, and we are going to be more forgiving to the people in our lives. But not only that, This principle that love comes through forgiveness, it's going to change. It's going to change our attitude to our careers, and it's going to change our attitude to our lives, isn't it? Because again, if we understand and appreciate the scale of our sin, the wickedness of our hearts, if we understand that Jesus Christ has cancelled that, then our lives, they're not going to be They're not going to be about pursuing the perfect job promotion. They're not going to be about pursuing the perfect partner. They're not going to be about saving up for a holiday and that being the be-all and end-all. No, our lives are going to be all about gratitude. Gratitude. Our lives are going to be about pouring out everything that we are and Everything that we have before Jesus Christ in praise. And then lastly tonight, this is the last thing. This principle, 
that love comes through forgiveness, if we get it, it's going to change our relationship with our God. Because if we understand the scale of our debt, and if we understand that debt, it didn't evaporate. It didn't evaporate, did it? Our sin and our debt was put onto someone else. If we see that our debt was put onto Jesus Christ, then surely our hearts are going to be stirred. Our hearts are going to be filled with a greater love for our God. Friends, this woman here, this prostitute, she had her sin forgiven and she was devoted to God. Now, let me ask you, we're closing and this is the last thing. Have you had your debt cancelled? Have you had your debt cancelled? Have you? Well, if you have, if so, surely you also must love and you must weep and ingratitude. You must fall at the feet of Jesus Christ. Because you see, love comes through forgiveness. But forgiveness is only found in him. Let's pray.